And uh, as we go to the book of Proverbs, I've given you an outline. And you've probably heard this phrase before, and God used it throughout the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy and also now in the book of Proverbs. Solomon writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. What will add peace to our lives and length of days and years? The wisdom of God. If you will follow the ways of the Word of God, you will have a longer life, you will have peace that will get you through. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, also in Proverbs 7, 3, he says, keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them down on the tablets of your heart. What do you think he means by that, the tablet of your heart? If you were to write on my heart, you would gouge it out. I don't have like a tablet there. What, what does that phrase mean, do you think? Tablet of my heart. Yeah, keep it in your memory. Keep it in, keep it in your being. Absorb it. Know it. Learn it. So, like if you were to take a pad of paper and make a note, I, I'm a note person. I know we got newfangled gadgets and uh, different things you write on, but I'm still a note guy. I, I have a pocket full of notes, you can ask my wife, and uh, I'll, I'll have notes that I have to pull out, and she'll pull, it out, pull out of the laundry as well. And, uh, but I'm a note guy, I, put, uh, I have to. And, and so the idea is to write it on a note in your heart to keep it. And so he's saying you need to write this on the tablet of your heart. Another way to say it is remember it. Remember this. Commit it to memory. Put it into your soul and being. Now remember this. The Old Testament saints did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. How many of you have forgotten something and you immediately call upon the Holy Spirit? Lord, would you bring to remembrance I forgot. You spoke to me the other day. What was it you said? right? It's still good to have pieces of paper around <laughs> and a journal. But the idea is for the Spirit to, to have this in us. And, and what God is saying is, if you would put my heart, my word in your heart, if you would commit to memory my statutes, my commands, the principles of my word, the attitude and spirit of Christ Commit it into your heart. Know it. Memorize it. Live it. You will have peace. That's what he's saying. Now, let me share with you uh, some recent research that's, that's going on uh, about the brain. It's pretty fascinating because a lot of the research right now is finding out that much of what the ancient Bible writers said is true. How about that? So modern science is looking backwards, seeing that the ancient writers of Scripture are correct. And uh, this man, um, Kurt Thompson, uh, wrote a book called The Anatomy of the Soul, and he's a psychiatrist, and he says this, I quote, Increasingly, studies show that the brain's neural connections are forged, formed, and reformed largely by relationships and memory. Neurons that fire together, wire together. 
All right, neurons that fire together, wire together. In other words, if there is a particular set of neurons, particular set of memories and emotions that you will dwell on, that you will meditate on, that it will create a path regularly in your thinking because neurons that fire together, wire together. Okay? So put that with the Word of God. Put that with the teachings of the Lord. If you will continually meditate on the Word of God, if you will react in a godly way to situations, those neurons that you're using in your mind and that you're forming to create memory and actions repeatedly, they will begin to become a, a fabric, part of the fabric of your being. And you'll walk in them. And that's what the Lord was saying in Proverbs. If you would write them on the tablets of your heart, that's just another way of saying neurons that fire together are wired together. He just used a different technical term. Tablets and heart. But he knows how the mind is working and thinks. And so we have to have a good use of our memory. Now, in other words, neurons that... um, repeatedly are active in a particular pattern are statistically more likely to fire in that same pattern the more they're activated. Remembering is essentially the process by which neurons increase their probability of firing together. Remember, how, how, how many of you, uh, let's just get a, a, a pick here, how many of you dwell on the negative things in your life? How many of you dwell on the positive things of your life? Okay. How many of you that dwell on the positive things of your life have the negative ones slowly fade away? It's harder for you to remember the negative ones. Those of you who are negative thinkers, you keep firing up the old ones. And so you have an easy route to those negative places. Now, that's what trauma does so many times. Trauma can do that. And, and it routed uh, an experience, and if you dwell on it, and, and if certain triggers keep hitting it, you're going to keep going back to that, all right? Uh, but if we would replace that pattern of thinking with a pattern of Scripture, memorizing the Word, staying in the Word, saying, this is what the Lord says, despite what I say or feel, you will begin to bridge a new firing mechanism of neurons. And that's what these psychologists are saying. Pardon for the word. I know that we're scripturally based. I'm just backing it up. In fact, their science is backing up scripture. And what they're saying is, is that if you will meditate upon the word of the Lord, right, you will have peace. Those who, what, keep my word will have perfect peace, right? And, uh, So that's what they're saying. And many of us are triggering the old and the negative and wondering why can't we break it. So we need to get you into rewiring, or as Paul says, renewing your mind. Again, another statement that is psychologically correct, scientifically correct, but we knew that all the way back because God said it. So we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What we write upon the tablet of our heart ultimately shapes not only our heart, but our mind and soul. And the renewing of your mind is both a mental and spiritual reality. It can be done. 
And I'm a living testimony to that. Because I went through hell as a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid. My father had committed suicide. I was in a very liberal college. I was in a very difficult, self-destructive mode. And uh, I literally felt that a demonic force was just keeping me oppressed for, for a number of years in those college years. And I had to build a pattern out of that from Scripture and faith. I had to build my faith to trust the Word of God even though in a, in a college setting everybody was opposing it, I had to believe that this was true, the Word of God was true, and begin to forge a new way of thinking. I was so negatively based in my thinking, very self-destructive because of the trauma and the experiences I had. I was very self-destructive. And I literally had to press upon hope, which built faith, to renew my thinking. There is a God, and I've shared this sermon, I'll have to share it again, maybe I'll do it next week, about tying a knot. I had to secure what I believed, and I would secure it, and I could climb up. Every now and then you slip down, but if you don't secure it, you'll go right past it. So I'd have to secure one step, then I'd have to believe and go further and secure it again in my thinking, in my reasoning, and in my faith and spirit. And I can truly confess that I believe the Word of God. I've tested it. I've approved it, what God's perfect will is for my life and for His people. And I know, thus saith the Lord, I know what the Word of God says. And my mind has been renewed from self-destruction into life and liberty in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you have experienced that and are experiencing that. And so we need to do that. So let's take a look further in Scripture to see what it says. Colossians 3.2. Many of you know this verse. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things above. That word set means to fix. Fix your mind on heavenly things, not earthly things. But if you, it's interesting if you go into the Greek lexicon and you go a little deeper on the definition of set your minds, there is a, mm, there is a, a shade to that word and uh, a little bit of an accent on the, on the side of the idea of what you think about yourself. How you think about yourself should be set on heavenly opinion, not the world's. Now that's huge. How many of you know that's huge? How many of you have been defined by the home you came out of? You're defined by how society says this and that about you. You find yourself defined by your weight, your appearance. You find yourself defined by how you have a good hair day or a bad hair day. How many of you have been there? You know what I'm talking about. This world defines us. Right? How does, how does the world define Detroit? How does the United States define Detroit? Right? How, how does the world define, you know, uh, your occupation? How do, we're always being pressed and conformed by an opinion of other people. Just watch TV for an evening. And you've got all the supermodels and all these attractive, gorgeous people. Where do those people live? I don't see them. No offense. 
<laughs> it's as if everybody is beautiful. There's no real people there, right? But we're so conformed with that image. How about our young people and young ladies, what they have to go through by this image? But the context of this verse in the Greek is not only to set your mind on things above. We read that in the English, and we think, okay, I'm supposed to think about heaven. Clouds and angels and harps and think about heaven. And, and the deeper sense of that verse is consider who you are in the context of your calling. Who you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus as an adopted child of God. That's where you get your self-esteem, self-worth, self-evaluation through the eyes of Jesus Christ's love for you. Through his sanctifying power, his washing, and his anointing upon you. That's who I am. And that's how I'm to identify myself by always looking to what heaven says about me instead of what these folks say about me. And that is something that you've got to put on the tablet of your heart. When you examine your heart, would you begin to immediately examine who you are in Christ? I am accepted in the beloved. I am the righteousness of God. I have been justified. I have been washed of my sins. I am favored by the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, man, you've got, you, when you begin meditating on that, how many of you know that you, you get changed, don't you? You get changed, and that is a godly point of view. How many of us are tricked into believing what the world standard says about us? This world's a cesspool. It's under the curse of sin and death. And we're letting all the fallen evaluate who we are when God from heaven came to earth to pull us out of this pit and raise us up and wash us with his word and adorn us in garments of white and put a halo upon us saying, my glory is upon you. Stop looking out there for your ID. It comes from above. That's what Colossians 3, 2 is saying. And so we've got to get this in our mindset. We've got to believe this. We've got to get so that when you hear those lies of the devil, when you hear that flesh telling you and those old patterns of your thought denigrating you and pulling you down, you remember, I'm no, 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 no. Close that book. I've got a different book to open to identify who I am. That's what Colossians 3.2 says. Now let's go to Philippians 4.8. And Paul is going to help us understand how to renew our mind. How we're supposed to renew our mind. Philippians 4.8. Um, yeah, let's start there. Finally, brothers. He's at the end of his letter. He's, he's giving salutations. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, Whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Now, that is exactly what the psychiatrist wrote about and is probably getting rich off of. <laughs> He's just taking scripture. What was already there. Now, here's the thing. God has often told Israel, think about this. Set it on the tablets of your heart. He reminds us to remember. Do this as in 
remembrance of me. So what is he saying? He wants us to remember. Christ died for me. Christ saved me. Christ rose from the dead and is coming again for me. So if you set that in your thought pattern and in, 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 in your thinking, uh, uh, you're going to beat the devil. You're going to beat the depression and the anxiety because, again, this is what God is speaking into our memory and in our minds. He, in fact, uh, illuminates on it in seven different ways. And he says, think about these things. But let's go a little deeper on the word think. All right? Think about those seven things. We'll go into them in a minute. So that means, okay, I'm supposed to just put it cognitive reasoning. But it actually goes deeper when you realize what we've already been studying when he says write it on the tablets of your heart or set your mind in heavenly things. What he's saying is through this word think, it's not just every now and then think about it like you think about tomorrow's Thursday. This word is logisme. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but in the Greek, this is a very important word. It is used in a number of different references. Logisme, logi, logic, right? Reasoning, considering, understanding. But what's fascinating about this word is this is the same word used in Romans chapter 4 when it says imputed. Righteousness was logismade unto Abraham because of his faith. Imputation, imputed or credited. It's a thinking that is not just conjuring up an idea. It is knowing something as fact. It is having this thing imputed or credited into your being and it becomes a part of who you are. Abraham was logismate or made righteous. Righteousness was imputed or credited into his account because of his faith. And that word credited is this word. The same word translated later as think. Doesn't that sound a little weak to you? Think. What it means more than just thinking about it, because we Westerners born in Greek philosophy think about a lot of things. But to the Jewish mind, it's not about just cognitive reasoning. It is your entire being transforming into that. Let me help you with this. All right, the Jewish mindset is what I believe, I do. What I believe, I am. Okay? It, it, it is not just a, a thinking about, it is a living it out. What happened in, in our scripture and in history is we became Greek-based, Greek philosophical thinking through Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates that came into the church. That Greek mindset of putting everything up here in your cerebral thinking. And it drew us away from the Eastern mindset of Hebrew doctrine, where the Hebrews said, I believe, therefore I act. If I, how many of you, does that sound familiar to the book of James? Right? You say you have faith, prove it. See, that's the Jewish mindset. You say you have faith, but you're not showing me, therefore you have no faith. Because in the Jewish mind, you say you have faith, I see your faith in action all the time. But what's happened with Greek thought is we can believe one thing and do another. That's why the church is so weak. We can believe all our theology, but we don't act on it. We don't do it. 
We can confess Jesus as Lord, but you couldn't find that out by the way we live. Right? You see what I'm saying? The disconnect between here and here. That's why he says, put it on your heart. Put it into your being. So when he says, think upon these things. Now I'm teaching you this so that we will have peace in these days. All right? So when he says, think about this, he's not just talking about thinking in your mind about, oh, that's excellent. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, that's nice. He's saying, own it. So that what is lovely makes you lovely. You become lovely. What is excellent is what you pursue in your mind and in your thoughts. It consumes you. It is credited unto you. Loveliness, excellence, honesty is who you are. And so when he says think upon these things, what he's saying is digest these things. Own these things. Now, according to the psychologists and everybody else, if we will begin to doing that, those neurons that fire will begin to wire. So if I begin to know and search out what is excellent and refuse what is not excellent, I'm not going to give meditation, thought, or time to that because it is not what I want. It is going to create for me a way of life in holiness and in excellence and in loveliness. Does that make sense to you? And it will rewire your mind. We need that. We need a renewed mind. I mean, when we get married, most of us have bad wiring when it comes to knowing what a married life is, especially today. Our young people have no clue. They try their best to learn marriage from their parents. I didn't say nothing. You're laughing. <laughs> and from all that they watch, now, now young people watch a lot of TV, watch a lot of movies, listen to a lot of music. They're very stimulated by the world's message. How many of you know they need a rewired mind to know how to live as a husband and wife? Right? I mean, marriage itself is just being destroyed and attacked. And so we need a rewiring of the mind. But it has to be something that we do. Not what we think, but what we do. Because you'll never have a memory based on what you think. How are your memories formed? By what you do and experience. That's how you form memory, and memory is what drives you. And so, if you've got a lot of bad memories, we need to do what Paul said to begin to rewire and, re and now live in new and improved memory. Does that make sense? Create some new good memories. And, put, and those old ones will no longer keep firing. All right, so let's go on. You're getting this, aren't you? So he said... Calculate it, own it, absorb it, digest it. What does he want us to own, absorb, and digest? These seven things. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, whatsoever is excellent and praiseworthy. He says, think about these things, but what he says is, live by these things. That's the key. And that's where this verse has failed for so many Christians. I'm trying to think about excellent things. I'm trying to think about honorable things. 
And like I said, just thinking about it isn't going to do it. Right? You've got to live it. These things have got to become your new life, your new pursuit, what you own, and your new identity. And in doing that, you will renew or rewire your mind and create a whole new realm of memory to begin living a life that is pleasing to God and satisfying to you. So we have got to put this into action. Now, it's going to take faith because you're swimming swimming upstream against a whole tide of former ideas and habits. Am I right about that? How many of you have prayed this? Jesus, take this away from me. Right? Nice prayer, but he can't. You know why he can't? Because you shaped it, you carved it, you owned it, you made it, you want it. He says, I'd love to take that away. Would you replace it with what I have for you? No, just make it go away. No, it's going to take work. You need to do this. So let's take a look at this. So what you're going to live now, what you're going to establish, and it's going to be imputed unto you, it is going to be something that you know to be fact and true, is I'm going to live by truth. No more lies, no more deception. I'm going to do everything by truth. Now don't just think about that. Do it. Do it. And you'll be surprised at how often you lie. We lie to ourselves. We lie about Scripture. We lie about what is true. Consider that for a minute. We are, brothers and sisters, now I'm not, please... I am with you in this. Do not ever think that I'm yelling at you or saying you and not me. I'm saying us collectively as a people. We are so far from living a life based on truth. We're really far from it. We think because we know Jesus is our Savior. We think because, but you know what? The pattern and behavior of our life is so doubtful to the reality of heaven so doubtful to the reality that Jesus is king over every situation in our lives. We've got to live by truth. We have got to believe the truth of God's word and not doubt God's word and live and not believe the lies that this world is constantly pressuring us to believe and the lies that we believe. We've got to trust God and I am going to think upon these things or live upon these things. I'm going to live for truth. I am going to choose not to lie. Start there. Not going to lie. In your marriage, stop lying to each other. What were you doing? Nothing. No, I, you know, I just, uh, uh, I had to go over here and I did that. You're a liar. Stop lying. What were you watching? Nothing. Hey, just, I, I was a Liar. I'm sorry, honey. What did you say? Oh, nothing. (laughs) Come on. We have got to start living true. Living true to heaven. Living true to heaven. In all that we do. You're at work. You're you're doing things. You're you're, you're showing up for this or not showing up for that. What are you going to do? Just lie. Wait a minute. Meltdown. It's a nuclear meltdown. How does... One who lives in truth, lie. 
How can this be? How can this contradiction exist? Right? Uh, so when Paul says, think about these things, again, it's not just thinking about what's ever true. I'm only going to believe what I think is true coming to me. No, it's you being true. Us being true. No lies anymore. No deception. Let's not be deceptive. Even in our witnessing, <laughs> we're deceiving. Tricking people into Jesus. Can I talk to you? What for? Well, I just want to talk about a few things. Right? We, and try and get in and try and throw in some... Come on! We can't be deceptive in anything we do. Right? All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to live truth. Secondly, we're going to live honorable. We're going to live above reproach, ethically. Think upon these things. See, it goes deeper than that. You don't just think about what is ethical and, and good. Oh, some of those people, they're just so stiff. They're so legalistic. Come on, let's be ethical, above board on everything. You can't cheat on your taxes. How does a Christian cheat on his taxes? How does that happen? How do you cheat on each other? You say you're going to do one thing and you go do another thing. Right? And not telling each other. Unethical. So we don't have the peace of God because of all the foolishness we're doing. We want to have a renewed mind. We think a renewed mind is a mind that just thinks about the Bible, but we live a different way. It cannot be. Paul says, now I want to teach you how to have the peace of God at all times. And therefore, to have the peace of God, you cannot have contradictions in your being. And so, you must think or own these things in your mind that you will be honorable. Your intentions are true. When you say you're going to do something, hello, do it. How many of you, and, and God nailed me for this. I got filleted on this. I got roasted and toasted and embarrassed because I was guilty of it. It happens a lot. I'm asked to do a lot of different things, and I'll say, you know, let me check into that. I'll consider that. Liar. Here I am, throw the darts. <laughs> He's already slayed me, so I don't care what you think of me. I'm serious. I'm open before God. I don't care about you. Yeah. I've done this, and I've been, you know, where I'll say, oh, you know what, I just couldn't make it. No, I didn't want to make it. <laughs> Be honorable. Be ethical. If you can't make it, you know, it's just a lot simpler and a lot easier and less contradiction in your being if you'd say, you know what, I'm just not feeling up to that. Thank you, though. How hard was that? But you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. But, but you know what, you're moving in an unethical way. Am I nailing anybody yet? Okay. Why do I want to nail you? Why do I want this to pierce your heart? Because I want you to have peace. I want you to know that Christian life and that walk that will come into you, that there'll be no contradictions, there'll be no strife. And, and he's saying, if you would bring these into your life, not just think about them, but if, it, again, in the Hebrew mind, if, you're, if you put it into your mind, your mind forms it. And so I will be honorable. I will be just and fair. One for you, two for me, one for you, two for me. No, no. 
I will be just and fair. I'll, cook, I'll cut the cookie in the middle and share it with you. Right? Some of you wouldn't do that. All right. I will be pure, undefiled, purity, purity. Now, every one of us has a problem with this because we've all been defiled by this world. We, we were born into an Adamic nature which defiled us at, right to start with. Every one of us was defiled in the beginning. So we immediately learn to be selfish and self-centered. Well, listen to any two-year-old and you'll, you'll get that. Right? And all of us grew up with that. Now, how do you overcome that? How do you uh, overcome impure thoughts? Because that's hard. That's hard. Well, we have to reject. It's a process of now, I am not going to look at that. I have to reject this. I have to purposely stop doing that or stop thinking that. It's going to take work. God can't take that out of you if you want to keep doing it. Right? Okay? So what we have to do is it, purity has to become purposeful in everything we do and in our thinking. You have to know that Christ is in you. And so you're going to be pure because you are pure by the Spirit of God. I have to live up to the purity that dwells within me. I can't contradict it. Now that's hard, that's a struggle. But if you begin to do this, and the more you do it, those old things will not fire as much. Whatever the impurities were within you, the longer you stay away from them, the stronger your purity neurons will grow. Your thinking in your life will move. Now let's go on. Love, whatever is lovely. Whatsoever is lovely. Um, I probably the best way to define that is the beauty of God's design. God's design. God designs all things beautiful, lovely, um, right. You know, I know some amazing, lovely people that are not very pretty. They're not attractive, right? And, but they are so lovely. What, what good, rich souls they are. They're kind and sweet and good. That is lovely. Whatsoever is lovely. Pursue what is lovely. You know, instead of these things that are glitzy and glamoury and, and, you know, but eventually they're tainted. If, if we could teach, if we could instruct our young people to pursue these things, pursue what is lovely, not what is quick, flashy, and fun, but what is lovely. It's got weight and substance by God in it. Oh, and then admirable. What is a good report? What is good? A good report. How many of you carry a good report? You see, if you're, if you're in that, that bent of a critical heart, a critical attitude, a lot of goodness doesn't come your way. You don't spew goodness. <laughs> I, I, I know folks, they're saved, spirit-filled and all that, but they, they're a grumbler and a complainer. They're critical about everything. That is not the mind of Christ. He says you need to own a good report. Admirable. Right? When you're in a situation, 
I learned this a long time ago. I used to work at Mike Moriel's, Moriel Music Studio. And uh, I remember I used to teach drums, and, and he used to tell me, uh, you decide how your day's going to be on how you wake up and you determine what you're going to do in your life. Right? There's a story about a, a, a woman who in her older age, in her uh, 90s, she had to move into assisted living. And uh, she was ready to go in. They took her. A neighbor had dropped her off at the assisted living. She had to sit in the, in the waiting room. And as she's waiting there, patiently, kindly, and uh, she, they had to get her room fixed. And so she waited up to 45 minutes. Finally, the nurse came and said, okay, your room's ready. Let's go in. And uh, she said, well, we, we got new curtains put in there, and we, we cleaned some of the furniture. I think you're going to love it. And she said, oh, it's beautiful. She said, well, you, <laughs> you haven't seen it yet. We haven't moved you in. She said, no, that doesn't matter. I've determined it's beautiful, and that's the way it'll be. And so with that attitude, she walked into that room believing that this was admirable, this was good. And with that attitude, she can make it better, but she can be satisfied as well because of God's provision. A, a good, admirable attitude in our hearts. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. That is of the world. That is of our culture. You know how much culture we got to get rid of? We have a lot of culture. We're okay with culture. We think culture is okay with God. We think that it's okay that we're a, a certain nationality which has a certain attitude or, or because we're from America we have this, that's just our culture. No, none of that counts. The cross killed all of that. The only culture you and I have is the Jesus culture. It's a spirit culture. And we have to learn that so you have to own it so you have to think upon it and let it... Uh, uh, invest itself in you so that your mind only fires and works under the influence of the Spirit, not our own attitudes and opinions. Last of all, whatsoever is excellent or praiseworthy, meditate, own these things. When you walk into a room, you see the excellence, the beauty, that which should be praised. Right? As opposed to everybody else saying, what a dump. You see that? Oh, I just, and what about that? Uh, let's stop being grumblers. You need to own this mentality of the Spirit of God. That's what Paul's saying. Now, what, what, let's go further. What he says is, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, wait a minute. What kind of a man would say, whatever you've heard me preach to you, Whatever you've learned from what I've been telling you or any time you've watched me, own it, do it, put it into practice. I'm not going to say that to you. <laughs> I'm not there yet. But that's what Paul's saying. Is that confidence? Because in Paul's mind, he was abducted by God. He was totally walking in everything that was lovely, praiseworthy, good, righteous, pure. 
That's how he patterned his life so that his thought life and everything that was in it began to operate solely in that. And the old broken down things, he said, I consider that dung, rubbish. I don't think about it anymore. What do I need to think about that for? I'm a new man in Christ. Many of you have so much stuff that you've had packed into your brain and in your heart from years ago. It's rubbish. Put it away. Stop considering it. Build a new identity. Renew your mind in Christ. He says, put it into what? Put it into practice. Put it into practice. Can you tell me what that means? Thank you. Thank you. You see what I'm saying? So it's more than just think about this. You know, Sunday I have the afternoon off. I think I'll think about lovely things. But that's how we read that verse. That's how we've been doing that verse. He says, no, do it. Do lovely things. Do excellent things. Do virtue. Do what is honorable. Practice it. Practice it. I got to get better at this. I got to practice this more. Right? How, how many of you need to practice this more? I mean, when I used to take drum lessons, I had to practice. I had to go and I had to study hours at a time, learning this thing, making my fingers do what they're supposed to do. How many of us practice holiness? I mean, really consider I'm going to go into Myers tomorrow and I'm going to be holy. Hallelujah. I'm not going to get mad at those ladies who walk in the middle of the aisle and leave their cart there. Hallelujah. I'm going to walk. It's okay. I'm practicing. Holiness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, they changed where they put the lettuce. I don't know where they put it now. They had to rearrange. It's okay. Hallelujah. I'm going to practice righteousness. You gave me the wrong change at the counter, lady. It's all right. Peace be upon you, sister. It is good that we're here together. God bless you. Let's work this out. Put it into practice. We walk out of here, and we all thought about it for an hour. And then we walk out of here, and what do you immediately put into practice? Come on. Right? Right? He says, you've got to own this thing. You've got to own it. You've got to live it. He said, you saw it in me, now put it into practice. Now, let's, let's finish this up. He says this, Romans 12, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. We've gone through it. We know what we have to do. We have to understand this. And so what I'm going to do is because we're doing that, he finishes off and says, If you will practice these seven things as being owned by them, and you exist in them, and apart from them you'll have nothing to do with but you will be truthful, you will be honest, you will be, and you'll walk, you will have the peace of God. You'll have the peace of God. And the peace of God is not just a, ooh, that feels good feeling. The peace of God is a shalom. It is an order in your life that is right. There's no fear there's balance, there's wholeness in the shalom of God. It's all right, it's good, right? Okay, now, in fact, in verse uh, uh, 4, 7, he says this, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. You see, if you do those things, if you live in those things, not just think about them, but you live them, you practice them, the peace of God will 
guard and keep your heart and mind in Christ. How many of you need that? I need that. I need that with the headlines today, with the bills that are coming in my mailbox. I need this. I need this. And, and this, knowing these things, walking in these things, rewiring my mind so that my mind doesn't think the way Tim Tyler used to think. My mind doesn't think the way I did when I was 21. My mind doesn't think the way I was when I was in depression. My mind doesn't think those ways anymore because I have a new mind renewed in God. And tomorrow it'll be even better. <laughs> and the next day it's going to get even better. I'm on a road to recovery from who I was. Amen? Now, let's do something spiritually about this. We take those seven things and you take the opposite of them. Whatsoever is true. Well, what's the opposite of truth? Lies. Whatsoever is honorable. What's the opposite of that? Dishonorable, unethical. Whatsoever is just. The opposite is unjust. Whatsoever is pure. The opposite is impure. Impure thoughts, impure whatever. Whatsoever is lovely. Opposite is ugly. Whatsoever is admirable, good, is not good. All right? And what is of excellent and praiseworthy is a bad report. So, we're to be living those other words. Maybe some of you, some of us, and, and, and I'm caught up in some of these myself. Maybe these are strongholds in us, in some of us. And we've got to eradicate them. We've got to say, no more of this. No wonder the peace of God is robbed from me because of some of these things. Okay, so let's go through them. And what we're going to do now in the last number of minutes is we're going to pray for deliverance from this mindset. 